the book of Daniel, these last three chapters, 10, 11, and 12, are all a section in themselves. Chapter 10 is kind of, well, it's focused on chapter 11, the prophecy, and then chapter 10 is talking about what happened before, a post-log, and chapter 12 is like, no, pre-log and a post-log. So it's, it's one little kind of segment. God wants us to know what's going on. He's telling us ahead of time what is going on. He loves us. He's communicating truth to us. This is what this book is all about. How to live life, what to expect in life, what to expect if we kind of get off the track with it and everything. This is the manual right here. So, with the book of Daniel, it's telling us several things, but one of them is the importance of, of truth and the fact that we are in a battle and the battle is not flesh and blood. The battle is against the arguments that set themselves up against truth. This is so apropos for today. Misinformation, disinformation, lies, whatever. It is permeating our news, our, our podcasts, our social media. It's, it's intense. And that is the battle. The battle is for truth. What's, what's going on? What is really happening? Where do I stand on this? What does the Word of God say? And it's very simple if we cut it down to Christians. This is our Word. God will guide us through this time. But the battle is in to hold back the truth. The battle is to stop the gospel from pursuing, because that's the truth. The battle is to stop Christians from being a light, because we got a lot of depression out there, a lot of that, you know, our lights are snuffed out. But Satan's tactic is lies and wanting the truth to be suppressed. Knowing all that, we have an enemy, and he is someone to contend with. Scripture talks about him. Um, we get kind of glimpses of what happens in the spiritual realm of things. Job, which is probably the oldest book in the Bible, talks to us about the devil being in the throne room of God. And there he's up there talking to God and everything, and God's saying to him, you know, have you considered my servant Job? No, Job just likes you because he blesses you, all the blessings you give him. Okay, well, you know, I've got you on a string. Go ahead and see if your, if your theory works or not. Hey, Job, he, he just still, you know, everything's going okay with Job. Well, go ahead. You can do anything you want to Job, but just don't take his life. Comes back. Job 2.10 says to his wife, Job says to his wife when she's just really had, at her wit's end, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He never did go, say anything against God. Zechariah 3, another little account of Satan accusing Joshua. It's a vision, Joshua, and there Satan's up there again. He's the accuser of the brethren. Look at Joshua. Look at the filthy clothes he has, and he's despicable. He's a sinner. Look at that. He doesn't deserve anything. He's morally deficient. And what does God say? Take off those filthy clothes and put on clean ones. So he's the accuser of us. Revelation 12, 7 to 11, tells us that 
There were, now war arose in heaven. It's a war zone. We live in a war zone. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and schemer, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down. He is, for the accuser of the brethren, has been thrown down. He's out to spread lies about us. He's out to take us out. That's his job. He hates God. He hates us. Okay? So it's a war zone that we live in. We open our eyes, know this. So in this war zone with Satan, when he got thrown out of heaven there, he took a third of the angels with him. They were probably tricked, whatever, he lied to them. And they fell with him. So angels are messengers. Now these angels, the third of the angels, are now under the control of of Satan, who was a fallen angel also. An angel just like Gabriel or Michael, he could have been even above them, Lucifer, and um, he's out of there. They have a military rank. We know that Gabriel and Michael are more archangels, um, and it kind of goes, because it's a battle, and when we have a battle, we have armies, and there's um, different um, levels of army and taking commandments and, and you know all that kind of and fighting and stuff. There's strategy with all this stuff. So Satan is bent on opposing God's rule and is harming us. He is a terrifying force. Listen up. He is not here to induce terror in us. But it is to warn us to draw closer to God for protection. Satan's purpose, he wants to create terror, but he's not going to. When we are confronted with evil stuff, with junky stuff, with scary stuff, we don't go there. What that is there for, God is allowing him to be on his little leash and do some horrific, terrifying things, but when we come into contact with that, we don't get sucked into the terror. It's there so we can turn toward God for protection. You got that, ladies? We're not afraid of him. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. He can't touch us. He's just a loud noise, an ugly thing, a conniving thing, and he's there... To make us go ding, ding, ooh, i got to run to my Jesus. Okay? That is what we want to. That is why they're coming and they're talking to, to David, Daniel now. So, the spiritual warfare that we see in Daniel's day affects every single Christian. Right? I know you all are familiar with the, um, Ephesians 6. And in Ephesians 6, there's armor that we put on. And if you look carefully at that armor, it is all about truth. Arrows coming at you from Satan, those are lies, okay? We know the truth, the sword is the truth, and we stand. We don't even fight. We stand. We stand. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit... Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, supplication to keep um, so that we stay alert. We stand, 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 stand. 
All right, let's dig into Daniel because he's told to stand up, okay? (laughs) All right. And also, as we go through 10, I want you to see that what is strengthening Daniel is the truth, okay? The third year, the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word... The truth was revealed to Daniel, who was Belshazzar. And the word was true. And it was about a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So he had this vision that's going to be talked about in 11. And it was, it was a huge conflict. It was terrorizing to him. But it was true. And he got this vision after um, Cyrus had sent some of the exiles back to Jerusalem and they had started to rebuild the temple. What great joy that must have been. Oh, we get to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to rebuild the temple and clean up the streets and all this kind of stuff. And they did it for a while and then boom, building stopped. Stopped for 15 years. Who was behind that? Satan, discouragement, doubt. And so David... Daniel, sorry, Daniel was already in a low mood because all the excitement of going back and back to the homeland and everything had come to a complete halt. That was under Zerubbabel back there. They were a time of discouragement for God's people. So he's discouraged. And in verse 4, well, he's mourning, he's, he's just grieving all this, not sure what's going on. And after, on the 24th day of the first month, after, you know, three, after three weeks, he was standing there on the side of the river, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in an angelic, priestly angelic outfit. Now, we know that this is an angel because he needed help in getting to Daniel. So let's just lay it out there right there, okay? It wasn't a picture of Christ. Christ would not need any help from Archangel Michael to defeat the Prince of Persia. One word and he would have been gone. So here's an angelic being dressed in very holy, pure, royal, um, priestly outfit, godly outfit. And he stands before him and he's coming to him to tell him the truth. Daniel, he's standing there And in verse 7, and I, Daniel, alone, it's like me, myself, and I, here I am, me, Daniel, alone, saw the vision because all the men who were with them, something in the air just spooked them pretty bad, and they ran and hid. And when this man, this angelic being, spoke words, the sound of his words, he passed out. He fainted. It was too much for him. So he's got his face on the ground And he's lying there on the ground, face down. God is a holy God, a pure God, a righteous God. This angelic being was symbolic of the the world of God coming down into Daniel's world. He chooses to dwell with us. And he chooses to tell us information. He wants us to know the truth. He's coming to inform Daniel of what is going to happen. 
That is truth. That is the truth, okay? This book is the truth. These visions are the truth. So he's down there, and he's on his face, and the angels are ministering angels, and he comes and he kneels, and Daniel's on his face. The hand touches him, and he kind of gets up on his hands and his knees, and he's trembling. And this angel says to him, Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. So with truth being communicated to us, we also have to know that God loves us so much. He's got this. He's got us in the palm of his hand. No matter what is going to happen now or in the future, he loves us. Oh, Daniel, greatly loved. These are words for us, too. Understand the words I speak to you. Believe what I'm going to tell you. By faith, know it's going to happen. These are words coming from the throne room of God through this messenger. This is the truth. So, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your, your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, listen to this, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. What are your words? Prayer. He was praying. God talks to us. We talk back to God. It's truth that we're communicating. It's, a, um, it's information. It's, it's connectedness with him. So he was praying through this time of this, this three weeks of trying to want to know, pleading with God and everything. And um, this messenger, this angelic being, was dispersed, and he was held up for a while. Three weeks he was held up, and then Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the uh, higher angels, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings, plural of Persia, and he came to help make you understand. I've come to help you make you understand what is to happen to your people in the later days for the vision is for days yet to come. This messenger, Daniel's, Daniel gets, you know, he, he's pleading with God. What is going on? There's a discouragement and everything like that. This is happening. Okay, send down the messenger to Daniel and everything. He wants to hear it. He's communicating, pleading with God. A messenger is on his way. Satan doesn't want him to get that message. Satan doesn't want us to know the truth. Satan doesn't want us to read this Bible. And most of us don't in the world today. Okay? This is the communication of truth that Satan is trying to snuff out. But, and they brought in the big wigs and everything because they really didn't want Daniel to get this information that Michael came and fought for him. Okay, do you understand what the battle is about? It's not about to destroy us physically. It's about us being fed lies. Yeah, fed lies. Okay? Know also that Daniel was very persistent in his prayers. It wasn't like after a little bit, oh, well, God doesn't care about me anymore, whatever. He persisted in his prayers through that whole three, three weeks. Um, and then the answer did come. But, you know, sometimes it's delayed. Not because God's up there trying to test us or whatever, or, you know. I mean, he might be growing our faith. But in this instance, it was actually a battle that was going on to keep the word, to keep the truth from Daniel. 
So Daniel, in 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, truth, I turned my face down to the ground, okay? He's on the ground, and he just turns his face down, and he became speechless. And then somebody else, or the same person, it's not clear, in 16, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of the man touched his lips, and then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him, to whom stood before me, you know, I am weak, I am not strengthened, um, but now you have come strengthen me so I can get on with it, get on and fight the battles. And 18, and the one having the appearance of the man touched me and strengthened me. And again he says, you are greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. The angel strengthened him with the truth. He spoke to him, and he spoke the truth that you are greatly loved. Man, do we need to remember that. How many times we don't feel like we're loved? We just have to know we're loved. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. Focus on the love of God. Focus on how dear we are to him and not on the, the, the scary stuff that's out there. And be strengthened by the word of God. When we're discouraged, this is where we go. This is where we go. Jesus said in John 17, 17, in the garden, he's praying to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is it. This is it. The word of God. All right, verse 20. He says... um, Now you know why I have come to you. And I'm going to return to fight against not just the prince of Persia, but there's another one, prince of Greece too. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Knowledge is strength, is wisdom. Truth is what we stand on. Okay? Can't stress that enough in all this. And the battle is consistent. Constant, I mean. One spiritual battle, then there's another one. I mean, we can't let our guard down. Satan's a prowling lion. All right. So, what is the real danger then in the world? What should we be more concerned out, more on guard about than the Satan himself? Because we're not going to study his ways. He's got the spotlight on him already. There's already movies coming out about him and everything. You know, you don't need to do that kind of stuff. God's going to contend with him. This is what we need to know. No, we need to know the truth. The real danger is our own sin of unbelief. Because when God tells us he's going to be with us and he's going to take care of us, and we forget about that and start, oh my gosh, this is terrible, whatever, that is sin. That's not trusting God. So the real danger that we have is our own sin of unbelief and disobedience. Not Satan. Not Satan, okay? Trying to live life in our own strength without going to this book, that's a problem too. All right. So we're going to take a peek at 11. And again, I just have to scratch the surface. If you are a history buff, I would encourage you to kind of get in and do some extra study in this because it is phenomenal. Daniel receives a prophecy of things to come. 
hasn't happened yet. We have received the prophecy of things fulfilled exactly how they were told to Daniel in chapter 11. This passage in chapter 11 is so precise and the details that were in it are so exact on how they came out in history that many um, critics deny the supernatural revelation, say it wasn't written before, it had to be written after. It is that precise. And what do we know about a true prophet of God? 100% accurate. No, not even, oh, it could be this, no. It is 100% accuracy. He talks about that in Deuteronomy 18, about knowing the, who, where do you get the word from. You know, how do we know it's a word from the Lord that was spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. We have in chapter 11, every single piece of, every single word that we just studied came true. All right. And it covers the history of 375 years. That's, the probability of that is one in a zillion of, you know, the probability of maybe something coming true, but exactly over that span of time with that many prophecies, every time there's a new detail or something, that ups the chance of, is it going to happen or not? Yeah, whoa, that's pretty cool. And why do you think it came about exactly the same way? Because God's in charge. He said, this is how it's going to happen. He's in control. It's so specific that it's just, uh, we're we're just going to scratch it here. He knows what's going to happen ahead of time because he's he's under his sovereign power. And you know something else? Truth does not change. Lies do. Because there's a lot of different ways you can go around truth. But truth does not change. Plus, knowing that, remember, we're greatly loved. So whatever's going to happen in this country, whatever's going to happen in this world, we're greatly loved. And he's in charge of it. All right, let's take a look at 11. Wars, wars and rumors of wars, we're always going to have them. And it starts out, the angel starts to tell him about some kings that have already happened. Um, And now in verse 2, I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall rise from Persia, and a fourth one, far richer than all of them, when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all the, against the kingdom of Greece. So we've got the Persian Empire. The fourth king is going to be Satan lives in the sound system. <laughs> he tries to keep the truth from getting out, doesn't he? I don't know what I did, but um, does anyone know how to, t- Isha, are you here? Can you turn the volume down up there, Isha? I know you're, thanks, appreciate that. Um, I think that's what it is, but I'm not sure. So 
the fourth king was fulfilled by the Persian, Persian king Xerxes. We learn about Xerxes in Esther. And it was his attempt to eliminate the Jewish people. We know that with his plot with Haman. So this is the fourth king that was happening there. The Greek Empire also attempted to wipe out the Jewish people during um, Antiochus the, the, the third, the fourth, sorry. And he attempted to kill every single Jew who did not renounce their commitment to God. So this is stuff, this is a vision that troubled Daniel because it was, it was against his people also. So in 3-4, then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great uh, Dominion as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, the kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds, the four generals. Who is this? This is Alexander the Great. And his kingdom is broken up because he died at a young age. He didn't have any heirs to give his, um, his kingdom to. Well, he, he did have an heir. He had, um, he had a half-brother who was mentally limited. And then he had an illegitimate child. But he basically died with no heir to the throne. So his four generals fought over his kingdom, his dynasty. And they're fighting over the dynasty. It was a bitter, ugly thing. Um, And so the rest of the prophecy rests on two of those four dynasties. It's going to pull out two kings, one from the north, and one from the south, and the promised land is right in the middle of that. It sat right between the centers of these two powers. So the rest of this prophecy is about the, that general from the north, um, who was uh, Seleucus. He was up there, and um, Talamum, with the starts with a P, Talamum was from the south. And this is the wars and rumors of war that went on for hundreds and hundreds of years with little Israel right there in the middle of all of this stuff, okay? So, verse 5, it had that. King of the south, he was strong. And one of his princes, we just mentioned, came in and he ruled and he took authority. And after some years, these two battling north and south guys decided, well, maybe we'll do an alliance. It's like the feud going on. And what they did then was... Um, the king of the north, Antiochus II, he married off, um, they got married to the king of the south. So the north is Antiochus. This was, I had to draw a map. This is very confusing. Are you following me, Joyce? Just trust me with this. It's in the word of God, okay? Um, It came true. How's that, okay? So there's a... um, Berenice is a daughter of Talama, and he's in the south. And he marries Antiochus in the north. Antiochus had to divorce his wife in order to marry the woman down here. Right off, that's not a good plan, okay? So as soon, and it had a little bit of peace for a while, but when it says that she could not retain her strength of her arm in verse 6, She shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, and she will be given up all of her attendants, he who fathered her and who supported her in those times. That was verse 6. What happened then? As soon as um, Bernice's father from the south died, 
Bernice got murdered. She gets murdered. And the former wife of Antiochus, Antiochus in, the, in, the, in the north remarries his former wife, Laodice, okay? And she comes into play, and she doesn't trust her husband now because he had just divorced her for down here. So when she kills her, he died, she's killed, and she, he, they get remarried up here. She doesn't trust him. She, she poisons him. She poisons him, and so she also had, I, I, I'm sorry, she didn't kill Bernice. She had her put away. Had her put away, had an infant son, had all those people put away. He remarries her, puts her away. She didn't trust him. She has him poisoned. Then she goes and she kills Bernice and her infant son and all of her attendants that were with her. And then um, Laodice, the murderess, sets her son, Silocus, the second on the throne of the whole Syrian domain. So this is fulfilled by these characters in history. Now, that's a lot. I try to do visual north-south and everything, but it comes out perfectly explaining the battles between the north and the south and how Israel, that little nation, is caught in between. And sometimes it was under the control of the north, and sometimes it was under control of the south. So there was great turmoil with all of this stuff. In verse 10, they will wage war and assemble great multitudes of force. Um, then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, and it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise up a multitude, Greater than the first, and some years later, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. All right, between 10 and 13, that was a fierce battle that was fought in 217 B.C. It's called the Battle of Raphia, the Battle of Raphia, and it was a horrible battle that took place on the Holy Land. So those verses are talking about that specific battle in history. Verses 14 to 16 has another chunk of history. The north then would answer back and defeat the south in extended sieges. So it's wars and rumors of wars all the time, all the time fighting. And these were actual blood, body, physical warfare that was going on with all of this battling, all this battling. So they come in and um, where do I want to go here? I, I didn't care that much for history. I mean, if, if you're a history buff, I mean, it can probably be really interesting. So I hope I'm doing it justice even going through this. Am I doing okay? Thanks, Joyce. She got me the thumbs up, so okay. She's my m meter there. Um, so in, first, in verse 14, in those days many shall rise against the king of the south. The king of the south is really where the biggest problem, although they're both very evil. And... Um, and he shall lift himself up. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up a siege of works and well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall stand. But he who comes against him 
shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land, which is Israel, with destruction in his hands. This all happened again with these characters. Antiochus III, he invaded Egypt again, and he gained final control over the armies of Talama V in the Holy Land. And at first, the Jewish people initially welcomed Antiochus III, Antiochus III because they thought, oh, he's coming in, he can liberate us from the Egyptian rule. But they had regret when they did that because he soon turned and started destruction upon them. These were hateful, evil, satanically led people that just were not good people. And in verse 17... The king of the north, who ruled over the Holy Land at that time, tries to destroy the king of the south. And we have another marriage happening here. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and, and perform them. So here he is. He's going to bring his daughter in. Um, he shall give him the daughter of a woman to destroy the kingdom. But it shall not stand. Because the plan was, my daughter will go in, marry, and then I will take control of it. Well, it didn't work out because his daughter wasn't faithful to her Egyptian husband and the whole thing fell apart. In verse 18 to 19, afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands, this is the king of the north, and shall capture many of them. So he's moving out toward the coastline, and a commander shall put to an end his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. What's going on in those verses? The king of the north is stopped, and he's the one that stumbles. After he's disappointed through the efforts of his daughter, letting him down and not being faithful, he turns, Antiochus III, turned his attention towards the areas of Asia Minor and Greece. This is history. But a Roman general, Lucius Cornelius, defeated Antiochus in Greece. Antiochus planned to humiliate Greece, but he himself was humiliated instead. So he tucks tail and he returns to his former regions, having lost everything that he gained, and he was so stripped for cash, didn't have any money. He started uh, pillaging a Babylonian temple and was killed by the local citizens that lived there. That happened in Iran, which is now Iran, in 187 B.C. So it's over hundreds of periods of time here. Verse 20 changes a shift a little bit. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days, he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. So for a, there's a king of the north that reigns for just a brief period of time. Um, and he tries to raise taxes and everything. And he's going to pillage the Jerusalem temple. But he was assassinated probably by his brother, who is Antiochus IV. And that's our main character here. All of that to bring us down to Antiochus IV, who is our picture of Antichrist. 
So the real danger here is not Satan. God, these things are all going to happen. They're all going to happen in history. They were told ahead of time, this is what's going to happen, and they got fulfilled. So the final point here is that Antiochus was a very vile person. In 21, in his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty had not been given. That just means that he didn't get the throne legally. He killed his brother. That's not good. Then the next person in line to the throne was in a Roman prison. So, you know, he really wasn't the next one. But he takes it with flatteries. Um, Even though he was a murderer and he was an evil guy, he just didn't use terror and fear to gain power. He used flattery and smooth promises. And he flattered the Romans and sent ambassadors to court them for their favor. And he flattered the Syrians to gain their, you know, support also, all right? And he took the title Epiphanes, which means illustrious, okay? This is what's happening here in the rest of chapter 11. Um, 22 to 27 talks about how um, he's being deceitful. Um, he, he acts without warning. He's a plunderer. He devises plans against other things, against the king of the north. Um, so he, he is the king of the north. He's a vile person, and he fails to conquer the king of the south, all right? Um, and he attempts to be deceptive with a covenant with the king of the south, but he results in a great battle, and nothing changes in that. So these prophecies here are fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes, who pretended friendship and alliance to catch them off guard. Battle after battle after battle, but he could not stand. He looks to the um, navy then in verse... Where's our navy ship down there in verse 27? No, not in 27. He goes and he looks toward the shoreline and stuff, and he total it's a huge naval battle there on the on the waters and that was a bad thing that happened there it's a famous battle um, that you can look up and the roman navy defeated the navy of Antiochus epiphanes and after that the roman general had Antiochus on the shore and he drew a circle around Antiochus in the dirt and he told him he had just defeated him He said, you can't step out of that circle until you pledge allegiance to Rome. So he did. He pledged allegiance to Rome, and from that time on, he took his marching orders from Rome. But that really ticked him off. He was filled with rage because of that. Um, These kings, in verse 27... As for these two kings from the north and the south, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table. That's our battle. Lies. They lie to each other. They lie to us. We know the truth. You've got to hang on to the truth. So he's humiliated. He goes back home and he takes it out on Jerusalem. And that's where he sets up an image of Zeus in the temple. He demanded, he stopped the sacrifices. He desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig in there. He stopped um, any, he made the people 
forced them to conform to, to, to Greek culture, forsaking all of the traditions of their fathers. But some of the people rebelled against that. Um, that's their abomination of desolation. But some of the people shall stand firm and take action in 32. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame by captivity and plunder. There's going to be a, a cleansing in verse 35. Some of the wise, the Jews that held to their, their beliefs and their faith shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. So it was a horrific vision that Daniel got. Um, and it had to do with his people, and it was frightening. But that angel made him stand up. Stand up. I'm not going to talk to you on the ground. You're going to stand up. I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to be strengthened by this truth because you know what's going to happen. And you've got to remember that you are greatly loved. Greatly loved. So, standing for righteousness, it might get tough, but what does this call it? We'll be refined and we'll be purified. And there's rewards on the, next, in, in, on the next phase of life for those who will stand refined and don't conform. It's a resistance out there with that. Okay. Well, I didn't put anybody to sleep on that, which is good. Um, and I was really thinking, how am I going to really get through this? Um, Next week, we're going to talk, to talk about, to finish this off, one greater or more evil than Antiochus. But you have to remember, evil beings are not what we're afraid of. That's not the danger here. The danger is when we don't put on our full armor of God, trusting in his word, Trusting in God, even when all of our senses tell us this doesn't look right or ever, but you know what? I know who holds the future, and I know what's going on, and I'm just supposed to stand here knowing that Jesus Christ is the most high God, and he's got this. And we march on with the gospel, don't we? We march on.